Well, good morning, Southwinds. So good to see you. Before we open God's Word together, I want to remind you of a couple of very important things that are coming up very quickly in two weeks from today. Our fall groups, small groups are launching for the fall trimester, and we just want to encourage you to get connected and get involved because it's such an important part of the life of our church family. We believe that God created us for community. And if you're not in a group, if you're not in community with other people, you are missing out on some important things. And so just want to tell you today, you can get questions answered out on the courtyard of the small groups table. You can actually get connected to a group. You can also do that online. If you're not in a group, we have 14 new groups that are starting. So there is a place uh, for you. Uh, We're also going to be relaunching our care groups, which is the name we have for our support groups that are going to be happening this fall. You hear more about that. I want to tell you specifically about one of those groups. Our newest care group is going to be called Family Grace, and this is a group that Dana, my wife, and I will be facilitating together. Uh, Family Grace is is a co-ed group, men and women, and it provides support uh, for family and friends uh, of individuals that are experiencing mental health difficulties or disorders. And uh, we are excited about what God's going to do through that. That group is going to be starting a little later in September. There will be more information uh, uh, that you'll hear about that. This group is going to run alongside of of Living Grace, which is an ongoing group, a a women's mental health peer support group that's going to be happening. So I want to encourage you to watch our website, watch the program for details. Uh, For any of our small groups, again, if you have questions, stop by the table out in the courtyard. And the second thing I want to mention is that next week is a week at Southwinds you do not want to miss. Uh, Jonathan McKee, who is a nationally uh, recognized uh, authority in student ministry, is going to be teaching God's Word Sunday morning in all three of our services. And if you are a a parent who has ever, ever wished that you could have a parenting do-over, let me check real quick. How many of you wish you could have at least one parenting do-over here? Okay, that's what the workshop next Sunday afternoon is going to be all about. And so the information for that is on the screen. It's on the website. It's in your program. So I'd encourage you to get signed up for that today. Do that as soon as you possibly can. Well, I want to welcome you to week number six of our current message series, which is called This Changed My Life. And if you've been here over the summer, maybe it's your first week here in a while. Well, I can just tell you that our our pastor team has been teaching from scripture passages that have deeply impacted our our own lives, we've been sharing with you. And today's message is going to be structured a little bit differently, um, as I'm going to be taking you to several different passages to show you uh, what the Bible teaches about one of the most life-changing truths that any one of us could ever know. It's a truth about the very nature of God, about who God is. And it is a truth, and I want to say it this way, that none of us will ever truly grow as Christ followers until we believe and until we live out this truth. It is so very important. And the truth we're going to be talking about is the doctrine known as the goodness of God. And I'm stealing a line from a song that many of you know for the title of this message. It's actually a song we're going to be singing at the end of our service today. This message is titled, He's a Good, Good Father. And the Bible is clear. If we are in Christ, then God is our Father, and God is good. He's a good Father. 
And the central idea that I want you to see today is that if you know that God is God and if you believe that God is good, and that's not just an idea that you agree with, but it's actually a conviction that you are living by, then that will change everything about your life. See, some of us are here today and we actually are living in the reality that God is our good father. And there are times, yes, that we stumble and we doubt, but most of the time we live in the confidence, we live in the security that our lives are in the hands of a good God. But there are others of us, and maybe we've never even been taught about this. Maybe this is kind of a new concept to us, the fact that that, that God is good and that God has good plans for his children's lives. And then there's some of us, we've heard that, we know the Bible teaches that, but the truth is we have real struggles accepting that for whatever reason. We're just not sure. One of the signs that we're not sure that God is good is we have FOMO. You know what FOMO is? Um, If you're under 30, I don't need to explain it to you, okay? Okay. but maybe you're over 30, some of you are, I can tell, and so I'll explain. Uh, FOMO is an acronym that stands for fear of missing out. And FOMO actually has always been around. It didn't take, you know, 21st century online culture to create it. It's always been around. But I kind of think we deal with it a lot more these days because we live in an online world and we see all this stuff going on online that we didn't used to see. In fact, it's, you know how it goes. Someone, someone takes an amazing trip somewhere, and then the rest of us all have to look at all of their stupid pictures, <laughs> right? You know, we missed out. Someone gets invited to a party, and they didn't invite us. They didn't invite us. We're not there. They're having fun, and we're missing out. Or maybe someone bought something, and you wanted that, and you can't afford that, and like, I don't have that. And They just go ahead and share it with the rest of the world. I'm missing out. You see, FOMO is always about I'm not there or I'm not with them or I don't have that. And because of that, I'm I'm just going to miss out on on something that, that, that is in life. You know, FOMO actually leads to a whole lot of anxiety and fear in our lives. The reality is, though, that FOMO is not new. It's just a new version of an ancient problem. You ever stop to realize that the very first lie that our very first parents, Adam and Eve, believed was a lie about the fear of missing out. The serpent came to them and said, you know, God's keeping some stuff from you. There's some good things out there that God doesn't want you to have. You are missing out. FOMO. And at the root, here's what I want you to see, at the root of this temptation to distrust and disobey God, at the very first sin there in the Garden of Eden, at the root of all of that was this question. You don't think that God has your best in mind, does he? Do you think that? And ever since then, part of our fallen condition has been grappling with this issue. Does God want what is truly best for us? Is God good? That's the question. I hope you will begin to understand and think about this reality. This is true. Maybe you've never thought about it before, but underneath so many of our anxieties, behind so much of our discontentment is doubt about whether or not God is truly good, whether or not I can trust him to do what is best for me if I follow him fully. And many of us, honestly, we're not so sure. 
See, this is the issue. This is the issue that we are wrestling with every time we are tempted to compromise God's standards to get something that we think we really need, something we're convinced will really bring our lives joy and really bring us meaning. And it might be a relationship, and it might be a possession, and it might be an achievement. But that's the issue. It's the root issue. This is the root issue right here. Whenever we pursue sexual satisfaction of any kind outside of God's will, which is marriage and marriage only, this is the issue. Whenever we cut ethical corners to make a business deal happen, to get something we want, this is the issue whenever we are racked with anxiety because we don't think we have enough, or maybe we know we have enough, but we want more, and we don't understand why God won't give it to us. Why hasn't God given us everything we want, everything we hope for? I mean, maybe, maybe he's not really on our side. Maybe he doesn't really want our best. Maybe he's holding back for us. Maybe he's not totally good. That's the question, isn't it? And I just want to tell you today, you will never truly be able to fully follow the Lord until you actually believe, and not just intellectually, not just, you know, saying church words and agreeing with the pastor, but I mean down in your heart, in your soul, at the very core of your being, until you believe that the God who made you and the God who died for you, that he loves you so very much and he is so good that always, always, always the very best way to know the very best things in life is to do what he says and to follow his will for your life always. See, that only happens. That only happens when you are fully convinced that God is good and God wants what is good for you. You know, if you follow him, that's when you experience the very best in life. A.W. Tozer was a pastor and author in the last century, and this is what he writes in one of his books, the uh, book called The Knowledge of the Holy. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He said, we, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. Let me put it this way. Everything in your life revolves around your view of God. If you think that God is basically harsh and critical with you, if you think that as a general rule, you do not measure up to what God wants, if you think that you are loved when you do what God says, in other words, you're loved conditionally, do you see your, your view of God sits at the very core of everything in your life, every relationship, every decision, it all comes back to this. Is God good, and am I going to experience what's best if I follow him? I want you to write this down, and I want you to think about it. All our struggles in life are based on distorted and inaccurate ideas about God. You see, if you begin to actually believe, and when I say believe, I mean a conviction that shows up in how you live. If you begin to believe that God is really good, I'm just telling you today, the vast majority of your fears and anxieties will begin to dissipate. And you will begin to experience a peace at the very center of your being, a peace that will not change with your circumstances. And it all comes back to this question, do I believe God is good? Now, for us to come to a place of getting and living out what the Bible has to say uh, to us in this regard, I want us to look at three questions today that will help us unpack this. And the first question is, how should we understand God's goodness? 
How should we understand God's goodness? What is God's goodness about? What does it mean? And, and you know, the very first place that this subject of God's goodness comes up in some detail is in the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, Exodus 33 and 34. And I want to encourage you to get your Bibles open there. And as you're doing that, this is a story about God's leader, Moses, and he has led God's people out of slavery in Egypt. It's the Exodus, and they have seen many incredible miracles. The sea parted, fire by night, cloud by day, manna being poured out for their food every single day, miracle after miracle after miracle. And Moses is up on Mount Sinai, and he's receiving the Ten Commandments. And it's been hard leading this nation. The people are rebellious. They don't listen. And Moses is praying, and he prays this prayer. It's an unbelievable prayer. Exodus 33, 18, it says, Then Moses said, and this is this prayer, Now show me your glory. Moses says, in essence, God, I want to know all there is to know of you. I've seen your power, all these miracles, but I want to really know you. And God's response to this prayer is basically, you have no idea what you're asking, Moses. He says, no one can see me and live. You know, God's heart, it seems, was so moved. Later on, he's going to call Moses the friend of God, that God says, Moses, you see that rock formation over there? I want you to walk over there, and you go stand behind that. I'm going to pass by, and I will let you get a glimpse of my back. In other words, God doesn't have a back, you know, like like we have a back, but it's kind of like just part of who I am, because Moses, you can't see all of me and live. Verse 19, it says, and the Lord said, he's answering Moses' prayer, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. God is saying, I'm going to let you know who I really am. And I want you to think about this. He could have said, Moses, I'm going to show you all my holiness or all my power. I'm going to show you all my love. But that's not what God says. God says, I'm going to show you all my goodness, all my goodness. Now, we pick up the answer to that prayer in chapter 34. God does what he promises. Look at verses 5 through 7. It says, then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love. And some of your translations right here say abounding in goodness. This word translated love can be translated goodness and faithfulness. Verse 7, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation. God shows Moses his goodness. What does this mean? What what is he experiencing? One of the places where you get a very helpful discussion of the goodness of God is in J.I. Packer's classic book published several decades ago. It's called Knowing God. It's a book that I would recommend any of you getting and actually reading. Sold over a million copies. And when you read it, you might be surprised it sold a million copies because it's not, it's not a super easy book to read. And it's, it's not because it's unclear. It's, it's actually very clear, but it's thick and it's, it's dense material and it's weighty material and you have to really think about it. And, and J.I. Packer writes incredible things. And here's what he says about the goodness of God. I want you to hear this. He says, Within the cluster of God's moral perfections, there is one in particular to which the term goodness points. 
the quality which God specially singled out from the whole when proclaiming all his goodness to Moses. He spoke of himself as abundant in goodness and truth. This is the quality of generosity. Now, the Hebrew word translated love in the NIV, goodness in some other translations, a very rich word. It can be translated as pleasant or joyful or agreeable. Sometimes it's translated as noble, admirable, worthy. It's a word about moral perfection. At the core of God's moral perfection, his goodness, is this concept of generosity. I want to ask you, is that how you think of God? Do you think of God as the most generous being in the universe. What is generosity? Here's what Packer writes. He says, generosity means a disposition to give to others in a way which has no mercenary motive and is not limited by what the recipients deserve, but consistently goes beyond it. Generosity expresses the simple wish that others should have what they need to make them happy. How differently would you pray if you believe that the creator of the entire universe who knows the future, who knows you better than anyone else, who knows every relationship you've ever had or ever will have, who knows every struggle, who is intimately acquainted with every single one of your hurts and your wounds, if you actually believed that he is generous, how would you pray? if you actually believe that he wants to lead your life and guide your life in a way that will make you truly happy, how would that change your prayers? You see, a key part of trusting and living in God's goodness is accepting that God knows best what will truly make you happy. Do you think that? Do you believe that? See, we live in a culture that tells us something very different. We live in a culture that's always telling us, always, always, always telling us that there's a lot of things out there that in actuality will never make us happy. The culture says those things are going to make you happy, and they never do. They never will. Again, in A.W. Tozer's book, he defines God's goodness like this. He says, the goodness of God is that which disposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill men. You ever stop to think, I mean, spend time really getting honest with yourself and understanding your mental concept of God. I wonder what nouns and adjectives you would use if you could really see how you think of God. I mean, how many of you, when you get honest, would say, you know, God to me is kind of like a cranky grandpa that's always telling everybody to get off his lawn. Is that how you think of him? How many of you see God as, you know, this really like uptight school teacher? who's just always lecturing everybody. How many of you, when you think of God, what you really think of is your always angry dad? I mean, how many of us, we kind of just assume that if something's fun, that God's probably against it. See, when you pray, do you feel like God is kind and and he's cordial, and he's full of goodwill, and he actually wants your best. He actually wants to help you. Tozer goes on to say, he is tenderhearted and of quick sympathy and of 
His unfailing attitude toward all moral beings is open, frank, and friendly. I mean, quick with sympathy? Are you kidding that that's God? I mean, some of us, when we do anything wrong, we kind of assume, we kind of feel like, and this is what we do, that we have to like beat ourselves up for at least two or three days if it was a big sin. If it's not really such a big sin, we gotta beat ourselves up for a couple hours at least, and then God will be okay with us, right? But he's quick with sympathy. And then that last line, Tozer writes, by his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness, and he takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people. And God finds great joy, just like you as a parent find joy and happiness when you see your children experiencing joy and happiness, when you see your children, you know, and they're, 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 they're doing what they were made to do. Doesn't it fill your heart? Doesn't it fill your, your being with joy? I mean, that is how God feels about you. And the truth of the matter is this. Let's get honest, people. So many of us, we really don't believe that. Or we just believe it at the intellectual level. It hasn't made it into the heart and the core of our being because it doesn't guide the way we live. See, if you struggle with this, I'm going to just tell you the only way you're ever going to get victory over this kind of misunderstanding of God is to begin to renew your mind. You have to begin to think differently. And that's, that's really why I talked to you last week about getting God's word into your life. You need to think about God as the way God reveals himself. And he does that in his word. And if you're not reading the Bible, if you're not taking it into your life, you're always going to be confused. You're always going to have distorted views about God. But part of that process of renewing your mind is going to always involve some memorizing of Scripture, some getting some things in your heart and being able to meditate. And I'm going to give you something that you can take with you today. Psalm 8411. I want you to look at this verse. I think many of you here need to memorize this verse. Here's what it says. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Isn't that good? He is a son. That's an unlimited source of blessing. He is a shield. That means he can protect us from any danger. He gives favor. Do you know what favor it is? It's God's undeserved mercy and grace and, and favor towards you. You didn't do anything. God blesses you and it is out of his goodness. Do you understand that God is good to us not because we're good? See, I'm looking at you right now and I can tell most of you are not good. <laughs> but the good news is you don't have to be good for God to be good to you, amen? amen. He is good to us because he is good and his goodness just over. Flows. It's who he is. He cannot be any other way. His disposition, <laughs> Tozer talks about. And you know what disposition is? I mean, disposition is just the way people are. You know, does anybody know somebody and they're just mad all the time? Anybody know somebody, they're just critical all the time? Don't look at them. <laughs> How many of you wake up grouchy in the morning? I mean... How many of you just let him sleep? <laughs> God doesn't wake up grouchy in the morning. In fact, this is going to surprise a lot of you. God just likes you. He does. And he loves you. 
And he wants to help you and he wants to encourage you and he wants to bestow favor and honor. He wants to lift you up. He wants to meet the deepest desires of your heart. And here is the promise of God's word, uh, the pathway to that. Every command, every step of obedience, if you follow God's way, those commands are there to protect you and keep you on the path, God says, where he can bless you. And isn't this what we do with our kids all the time if we're parents? I mean, when they're little, you tell them, don't go in the street. You tell them, don't touch the stove. I don't care if that's got a pretty little flame on it. Don't touch that. You know, and, and it's kind of like if, if your kids were to say to you, just imagine, I don't know, your two-year-old were to say, Mom, you're just never any fun. You know, if I could touch the pretty flame on the stove every now and then, that would be good. Life would be great. Or if your kid were to say, Dad, you know, why do you want to ruin my life? How come I can't go running out in the street couple times a week. I mean, there's lots of room to play out there. That would be fun. And, and you know when your child doesn't want to respond to those commands, they just don't see the big picture. They don't know what's best for them. See, and when God says to you, I want you to be sexually pure. When God says to you, I want you to give me the very best and first part of your day, when God says, I want you to do your work for my glory, not yours, when God says to you, don't walk in pride, you need to live in humility, all those things that God tells us to do, they are a path to blessing, a path to us experiencing his goodness in our lives. We are all, every one of us, on a lifelong quest for goodness. Some of you need to write that down. You need to think about what it means. We're all on that quest, a lifelong quest for goodness. And I want to tell you today, that quest is behind every choice you've ever made. It is behind every longing you will ever have. We try to find goodness in relationships. We try to find goodness in things. And God keeps saying to us, there is a way that seems right to a man, but that way ends up in death. He says, go my way. Let me bless you because I love you and I want what is best for you. And I am telling you today, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you believe him, then you'll do that. If you believe he's good and he wants what is best for you, you'll obey him. And that quest you're on for goodness, only God, only God is ever going to satisfy our unquenchable desire for goodness. He's so generous. He just wants to pour out blessing on his children do you know the goodness of God? Are you learning about the goodness of God? Are you growing in your understanding of the goodness of God? It'll change your life. Here's the second question I want you to, to see. How does God reveal his goodness? How does he show that to us? And I want to show you three ways. There's really lots more in the Bible, but at least three ways. Here's the first one. Write this down. God reveals his goodness by generously pouring out blessings all around us. And this is just reminding us of the reality that in this world in which we live, God's world, he created it, that God has just scattered blessings everywhere. They're all around us. In fact, there's so many of them that a lot of times we take them for granted. Uh, Psalm 145, verses seven through nine says, they will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Now, what this is telling us in part is that God is not utilitarian. God doesn't just do stuff because, you know, it works. 
You ever wonder why the sky is so beautiful? Why do we have mountains? Why do we have oceans? Why are there so many animals in the world and so many creatures in the ocean? Why so many colors everywhere? Where I walk and run, get my exercise, kind of a path up a road in, in our, our city, um, there are all kinds of wonderful smells and aromas that are on this path all through the year. And some of you are hearing the word smells and you're at Southwinds, and so you're going to another place that I'm not talking about today, okay? I'm talking about the wonderful peppery aroma of pepper trees. You ever smelled that? The perfume of star jasmine and crepe myrtles. And in the spring, I will walk past yards and in the backyards, there's orange trees and lemon trees, and they're in bloom. And I am convinced that one of the proofs of the existence of God are orange blossoms. And then there's always on this street that, that kind of warm, kind of musky smell of sycamore trees. It just smells so good. And, you know, God has just spread out his goodness everywhere. He, the Bible says he causes his blessings to fall on the evil and the good. And, you know, we get to live in California, we are blessed to live in an area where we can gaze at the grandeur of Yosemite and we can, we can marvel at the immensity of the Pacific Ocean in one day, right? In one day. And I know Tracy may not exactly be, you know, the garden spot of the entire universe. <laughs> we sort of make fun of it sometimes, but if you ever stop to look around you and in the mornings and the evenings to see the golden hills and the valley oaks and the hawks and the fog kind of creeping over the hills at certain times of the year. I want the fog to come back about right now. Amen. You know, <laughs> and it's beautiful and it's blessing and God gave it to us. Now, there are probably some of you who are saying, yeah, you know what? I'm not into all that nature stuff, you know, because I have work to do. I have a life to live, you know, Pastor Mike. You just kind of live up here at the church where all the angels fly around all the time and not in the real world. And here's what I want to say to you, and I'm serious about this, okay? Here's what I want to say. If that's how you think, if you're kind of brushing off this kind of, you think it's this feathery talk of nature and beauty and stuff like that, you know, whatever. If that's how you're thinking, here's what I want to say to you. If you think like that, if you're thinking that the numbers you need to crunch and the plans you need to make and the strategies you need to implement in your life and your hobbies and your interests, if you think those things are more important, which means you think they're more beautiful, here's what I want to say to you. You think those things are better than the works of God's hand, you need to repent. Because you have decided that what we do as people somehow is better than what God did with his creative genius. I'm not saying what we do is bad, but are you dismissing the beauty and you're so focused in on your little world that you're not seeing the goodness and the glory and the grace of God, the things that are all around us every single day. I mean, really, we live in America. If you thank God recently that you live in a country where you can express your opinions, even the stupid ones. 
that we have relatively good health. We are healthier than almost any people who've ever, ever lived. Do you realize that we are richer than 99.99% of the people in the world, that one-third of our world lives on less than a dollar a day, and we just take it for granted? I mean, have you thanked him recently for all the education you received and for the relationships you have and all the blessings that are in your life, whatever they are? He scattered them all around there everywhere. But what we tend to do sometimes is we focus on the problems we have, and maybe it's just one problem. It might even be a big problem, but it becomes the filter through which we say everything in life, and we start forgetting about all the good things God has done. Has that ever happened to you? God has revealed his goodness in so many blessings. Later in Psalm 145, this is verses 16 and 17, it says, you open your hand And you satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. If you want to appreciate God's goodness, let me give you two words. Look around. Look around. Look around at the beauty. Look at life, at air, at love, at your talents and your freedom and your your wealth and your relationships and your education. Just thank him every day that the sun actually came up again. He did that. And if you begin to habitually thank God for his blessings, you will become a person who's more and more in tune with his goodness and your life is gonna get filled up. I'm just telling you, it's gonna get filled up with gratitude and filled up with joy the more you live in the light of the goodness and the glory of God. Again, Psalm 8411 says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Some of you say, well, you already read that verse. I know, but you didn't listen the first time, so I read it again. (laughs) See, the Bible tells us if God is sovereign, and yes, we live in a fallen, broken world. Yes, this world is not the way God made it to be. But if God is sovereign, that means that anything that comes into your life, any relationship or circumstance, any disappointment, if he is sovereign, then that means he allowed it. And there is some purpose for it, even if you can't see it. And so I can be honest with God and I can say, God, I don't like it. And this is hard and I wish you would take it away. And it's not my plan, but I'm going to still choose God because you are good to give you thanks. And when you become a thankful person, life always changes. There's a second way God reveals his goodness by graciously delivering from trouble. God delivers people from trouble. And I want you to look at Psalm 107. I'd like to encourage you to open your Bible there. We're not going to read the whole thing. This is a, a long Psalm, but I want you to kind of get a picture of how this Psalm works, its structure. And this is a Psalm about God intervening in lives. And he does this for believers his people, but he also intervenes and helps people who don't believe sometimes. And, and it's easy for us when things aren't working right to think God's against us and he's not going to pay attention to me. He's not going to intervene in my life unless I start being good. But this, this is not what God is like. And the key idea in Psalm 107 is in the first line, verse one, it says, give thanks to the Lord. Why? Well, the answer is, for he is good. His love endures forever. And our response to that should be, verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say this, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, that's all the things that come against us, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Now, here's where this psalm is going to go. There's going to be four specific things, like four little scenes or vignettes that 
God's going to rescue from, intervene in, spiritual drift and shadow of death and diseases and storms. And if you have time to read this, I want to kind of explain this. You can go back and look at it a little more slowly on your own. I'm going to go through just the first couple of scenes for you to get the idea. So scene one, beginning in verse four, is about spiritual drift. And this is what it says. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding a way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Now, each time, what do people do? Verse six, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. And in response, what are we to do? Verse eight, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love, that could be translated goodness, and his wonderful deeds for men, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. That's scene one. Look at scene two. This is about rescuing from the shadow of death. Verse 10, some sat in darkness in the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains. You think, well, how did they get there? Verse 11, for they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Verse 13, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And what did God do? He saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness in the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. What should we do in response? Verse 15, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love or his goodness and his wonderful deeds for men. Do you see the pattern that's being laid out for us here? Scene three, verses 17 to 21, won't read it, but it shows how even people who rebelled against God and as a result suffered some physical afflictions, when they cried out to God in his goodness, he saved them and healed them. And so they should give thanks to God for his goodness. Scene four is verses 23 to 32. And it shows how God gives protection from the storms that can threatened to sink our lives. In verse 31, you'll see it's out of his unfailing love or his goodness. Now, here's what I want you to see. You can go back, check this out for yourself. In three of these four scenes, people are in trouble because they messed up. It's their own doing. And when messed up people, some of them very far away from God, some of us who know them, you know, we've done this ourselves. When we make decisions that mess our lives up terribly, we often feel like God's not going to intervene. God's not going to answer. I have to start behaving. I have to start doing the right things. I have to prove myself to God before he will waste or he will come and he will take care of what I've wasted. And we do that sometimes for days and we're just wasting our time because God says, you cry out to me now and I will rescue you now because I'm good. I want to encourage you to think about all the ways in your life that God has rescued you, delivered you. Has God delivered you in your life in some way, shape, or form? Would you raise your hand if if you know God has delivered you? Because he's a good God. That's why he does this. I, I told you you need to look around. Let me give you another thing you need to do. You need to look back. Look back at what God has done in your life, and it'll encourage you to trust him for what he's going to do in your life. Here's the third way he reveals himself, his goodness to us, and this is so good. He reveals his goodness by Jesus, who is the ultimate demonstration of his goodness. The Bible tells us that that Jesus is the proof of God's goodness. Uh, We could talk about so many things. Let me just read Romans 5, 8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Again, God's goodness comes to us not when we clean up our act. God's goodness is demonstrated to us. The proof of it is in the cross. The cross is the greatest proof of God's goodness in the universe. Do you know, do you see that God loved you before you responded, that God loved you when you were in rebellion, that God loved you while you were still his enemy, while you were still a sinner, shaking your fist at God in active rebellion sometimes? Some of you didn't do that. You were just passively indifferent. That's also rebellion. And God sent his son, and Jesus died for you because God is good. He's good. There's more than that. Jesus is also the guarantee of future goodness. In other words, I can know that God will be good to me in the future because of what Jesus has already done. Romans 8, 31 and 32, familiar verses say, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Here's what Paul is saying. If God has been good enough to give you his son, his only son, and is that what God has done? Say amen. Amen. Why would you doubt his goodness to you in every other area of your life? You know, there are some of us that have made an utter mess of our financial lives. Let's just say you messed it up so royally that you owe more than a million dollars in debt, and there's really no way for you to get out of it. What if someone shows up and says, I have the resources, and I can write you a check, and they go ahead and they do that. They pay all your debts off, and you are free, and you are clear, and your life is never going to be the same, and you say thank you to them, and they say, I'm so glad I can do it, and you You say, I can't believe you helped me like this. They say, let's go have some lunch. Let's go to Panera. And then you say to them, are you sure you have enough for that, for like two of us to eat? (laughs) Wouldn't that be ridiculous? Do you see what Paul is doing? He's saying, God has given you Jesus. Don't you think he's going to give you everything else? all the rest of the small stuff in your life. He's so good. He's so good. Here's the third thing, and we'll be done. How do we respond to God's goodness? And very quickly, I want to give you three specific ways we respond to God's goodness, and these three ways correspond to three different kinds of people that will be in almost every room. Here's the first group of people. This would be someone who's outside of Christ, And maybe you're here today and you haven't trusted Christ. You're just kind of checking things out. Maybe you're here today and you're not even sure you believe in Jesus or maybe you even wonder if there is a God. And you're here and there's a number of reasons you could be here. I just want to tell you, whatever reason you're here, God's will for you, God's will for you to receive his goodness is this. You need to repent and receive God's greatest good gift which is eternal life through his son. That's how we should respond to God's goodness. It's kind of an interesting thing. Also in the book of Romans chapter two, verse four, Paul writes these words. He says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? Some of you here today, maybe you don't know Christ you'll stop to think about your life, you will realize that God has been so very kind to you.
He's been drawing you to himself. And when you see that, when you truly see that, you'll repent. Repentance is where we turn around. We realize we've been going the wrong way and we make an about face and we head in the other direction. It's when we say, God, I need you to forgive my sins. I need you to come into my life. You're good and I'm not and I need your goodness. Will you do that today if that's where you are? If God has opened your eyes to see his goodness, will you repent and receive his gift? Second response, there could be many of us who are kind of living in an in-between place, in between God's way and my way. You're a follower of Christ and maybe you, you're following him in so many ways, but maybe in your life still there's like one or two ways and you've said, God, I am all in except for. Do you realize you can't say all in and except for? God maybe brought you today to deal with the except for. So your response, number two, is surrender and follow God in every area of your life. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And you can do that today, too. You can stop trusting in your goodness, stop trusting in your wisdom to know what is best for you, and you can start trusting that God is good and God knows better than you what is best for you. You can trust him fully, surrender and follow And then there's a third group, and maybe you've been listening, and maybe you've been thinking, you know, I'm really all in at this. I do believe this, but it's really hard sometimes, and I really struggle sometimes, and I'm going to choose to do what is right, but I need some strength. I need some encouragement today. I have a verse for you. Anybody want to guess what it is? Psalm 8411. Some of you, I've told you twice, this is your last chance, okay? (laughs) I want to encourage you, if you're in this place, I really do. This is not like just something I say on Sunday. I really want to encourage you, make this verse a part of your life and a part of your heart. Memorize it. And as many times as you need to say it, whatever comes against you, whenever you get anxious, whenever you fear missing out, you say it. And what you're doing is this, number three, you're claiming God's promise of his goodness every day. Just make that part of your life. Because the Lord God, he is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. That is our God. That is our God. God is good. And he's good all the time. And all the time he is good. He's a good, good father. That's who he is. He's a good, good father. And you, his children, you are loved by him. That's who you are. He's a good, good father. We are loved by him. This is the word of the Lord to you today. Will you receive it? Will you let it soak into your being? And will you live it out tomorrow and into the future? Would you bow your heads as we pray? Just ask God as you pray to help you grasp and understand his goodness. He's going to answer that prayer. Father, if we would 
we would just come to believe and live out the reality that you are good. Lord, you promise us in your word, and we believe it today, that our, our fears would dissipate, our, our guilt would evaporate. And even when we are experiencing difficulty in your discipline, Lord, we can know it is out of, of your loving heart to give us what is best. Lord, I want to pray for any person outside of Christ that you would just flood their mind with an awareness of how good and kind you are, that, Lord, you would turn their hearts toward you. And, Lord, I just pray for any believers who maybe are not all in, just trying to run their lives. Lord, help them to see that the path they're on is not as good as your path, that your path always leads to life, that your path is always best. Lord, we thank you that you are a sun and a shield and that you give grace and glory and that we can trust as we believe you and follow you that you will never withhold any good thing from us. Father, we pray those things in your good, good name. We pray those things in the name of your good son, our Savior, Jesus the Christ. And all God's people together said,